This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to Prospects to Pros, where we talk about the guys that are going to be in the draft next year, the guys that just got drafted this year, and a little bit beyond if uh, if I saw some sophomore I really like. Uh, I'm Andy Staples. He's Dane Brugler. And we are talking NFL draft from a college perspective, from a pro perspective. This is, uh, this is your link between the college game and the pro game. And Dane, I had a, a, a front row seat for a lot of guys that we're going to be talking about, I'd say over the next three years, because I was at Alabama, Texas A&M this past weekend, uh, down on the sideline there at the end of the game, I was watching a lot of Alabama defenders that I know we're going to talk about today, but also I, I was thinking as I was walking off the field and some of Texas A&M's freshman defensive linemen were <laughs> walking behind me, I was looking back and I was like, we're going to be talking about these guys pretty soon, too. Can any of them throw the football? I mean, can they? Mm. I, I mean, that's, that's that, that seems to be the biggest problem for AM, right? They just can't yeah. find a quarterback, which, you know, we mentioned before with Jimbo. Um, but I, I want to know, um, what did PFF rate your catch on the sidelines there? Uh, oh, I mean, it's one-handed, so that, that the difficulty level is a little higher. It's, it was tipped. Crunch time. I think, I think they're good. But... I, I feel like because I was multitasking, because I, I don't think any football player has ever been asked to catch a football while filming something with his phone. Like, I never stop filming. I have the entire catch on video. My right hand never moved. And so I, I, want, I want some credit for that. But it was tipped. So it wasn't like I, I speared some laser beam from Haynes King, which, by the way, a few plays later on the last play of the game, he did throw... An absolute laser beam that no one in no human being, I don't care how good they are, could have caught. So you, you, I know you Texas A&M fans wanted pass interference. That ball is uncatchable. Yeah. The ball I caught was quite catchable, and I got an assist from Ross Bjork, the Texas A&M athletic director, former Emporia State fullback, by the way. You know, I fullback's supposed to have a little better hands than that, but it was it was high. He had to jump, and uh, so yeah, I got the it. it he tipped it. And it kind of, it hit my left hand and I pulled it in to the body. I don't think, you know, if I was doing a clinic, I don't think they'd tell you to catch it like that. Well, and I, I heard you talk about it on the podcast uh, with you and Ari uh, Sunday morning. And then I didn't, I didn't notice it live. And then I was watching the tape Monday morning and <laughs> I saw it. And I was literally the, the Leo gif uh, pointing like, oh, hey, there it is. I forgot all about it. <laughs> Um, but I did two things I, I want to know, um, from your trip first, the best thing you ate the, over your trip. And then number two, the best player not named Will Anderson that you saw on the field, uh, Saturday night in that game. So the best thing I ate, and, and this is tough because I had a 30 ounce bone out ribeye at Republic in college station. So if that had been a bone in like a tomahawk ribeye, we'd be talking like 48 or 54 ounces. <laughs> it was very nice. Uh, I had ribs at Pig and Pint in Jackson, Mississippi, which is an excellent barbecue place. If you're ever in Jackson, if somebody's doing a Dion story or just going to see the, the Tigers play, that's a great, great spot. Actually, probably about a mile from Jackson State. Mm. Had uh, 
two different kinds of biscuits and well, one kind of biscuits, two kinds of gravy at Big Bag Breakfast in uh, in Oxford, Mississippi. Had ribs at Archibald's in Northport, Alabama, which is Metro Tuscaloosa. Those are my favorite ribs in the universe. It, those are probably the best thing I ate, but they're they're not new to me, so I, I that's hard to say. But I will I'll give you two. I'll give you two. The Hot Mama Pizza at Slice in Birmingham. And there, a lot of places are doing this now where they go really hot and then drizzle the hot honey over it. So it's soprasada and it's got Calabrian peppers and it's got hot honey and oh it's got gosh. pepperoni. It is awesome. So That sounds amazing. Yeah, Slice in Birmingham. I think the first place that did that was a place called Polly G's in Brooklyn, which is also very good. But that it, that is one of the better pizzas I've had. And then in Oxford at Snack Bar, which is part of the the John Currents Empire. John Currents is the chef at City Grocery. He runs Big Bad Breakfast. He he has bourree, but Snack Bar is kind of his lab. And the special on the night we went, it was cookbook night. So it's usually a page out of one of John's cookbooks. This time it was a page out of one of his friend's cookbooks. It was this lamb shank and it had been re- reduced into the like the like this brown gravy pool that is swimming in with a bunch of root vegetables in there. Like I would go swimming in the gravy that this oh. lamb shank made. And and they had a uh, confit duck wings as an appetizer. Oh. So it was it was spectacular. Now, I- best player not named Will Anderson. By the way, Will Anderson everything he was advertised to be. He was in Haynes King's lap every single play. I I, I but- got tweets that zero sacks. The guy had double digit pressures. I mean, he was in the back. <laughs> he lived in the backfield. Like what are we it, watching it- here? If he, if you are looking, if you are watching that game, if you actually physically had the game on and you are right. tweeting at Dane about zero sacks, just stop watching football because you don't understand it. <laughs> right, you just, right. just give up. You're you're hopeless. Yeah. So, yeah, he was he was a monster in that game. But the the guy I want to talk about is Brian Branch, who he's a safety, but in that kind of maybe not Minka Fitzpatrick versatility level, but very versatile, can do all the different things that they need in Alabama's secondary. And and it's more interesting, I think, when he's off the field. You know, he was he was there the entire time against Texas A&M. Against Arkansas, he goes off the field, and all of a sudden, Arkansas makes it a game. And that tells you how important this guy is. That's exactly what I was going to hit on. I mean, it, the last two weeks, I think, really encapsulates just how important he is to to that defense. And you mentioned Minka. He plays the same position, that star position. Um, and for Branch, you have to be uh, – there, there's so much uh, stress put on you as that nickel defender because you have to be an open field tackler. You have to be a guy that can handle size in the slot but also speed in the slot. And he does both really really well he led all tacklers in that game with nine tackles two of them for loss a couple of those where it just triggers downhill uh and, and makes a stop behind the line of scrimmage he also had two pass breakups where i love his feet he's so controlled with his footwork uh in any direction backpedal collect himself and, and then uh to, to drive on the route it's really impressive to watch so um i, I think there are definitely other contenders here i mean i Dallas Turner is, he's not quite Will Anderson, but he's hes close, only a true sophomore. We'll be yeah. talking about him a lot next year. And then Henry Toto, just, you know, what he brings, just from a, a leadership and coaching standpoint, is so important to that defense. But, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, besides, Will Anderson's the most important player on that defense. Brian Branch, I think, is number two. He was number 
number 26 in my early top 50 uh, back in August. And he's only lived up to that, if not helped himself more. So Brian Branch, I think is with, especially when you talk about the NFL, nickel is base. What, what teams are looking for from that position, be able to play. Uh, and, and I think with Branch, too, he could play inside-outside at corner. He could play any safety position. Uh, he is very versatile. I think that's exactly what a lot of teams are looking for. Yeah, and the thing is, that star position, you have to be Nick Saban's brain on right. the field. Minka sort of de- designed that position, for lack of a better word. He and, he and Saban together designed that position because – they were evolving what they were doing while Minka was in school. If you watch, I think it was the 2015 season, I think it was Minka's freshman year. They were much more traditional, like Minka was a corner. And they were still trying to figure out what their actual base base was going to look like. And so Minka helped Nick Saban figure out what to do with that position and, and Eddie Jackson also helped with, with one of the other safety positions mm. where they, they kind of figured out what, what the best way to use these guys was because it, it wasn't, it was an evolution, you know, that they thought they were pure corners when they got there. And then they figured out, no, no, no. In this new world of spread offenses, you need this person to do all of these things. And so Brian branch is just kind of following in those footsteps and he does seem to be the kind of guy who who kind of mind melds with Nick Saban and does what he's supposed to. Uh, another guy to do, I did want to point out is Terry Arnold, uh, the yeah. corner who was another covering. Sophomore. Yeah, he was covering Evan Stewart on the final play. He uh, he has done a, a great job putting himself in a position to you know beating out guys that were even more highly recruited than he went, and they're all highly recruited at Alabama. But I just want to point out what he did on the final play and. It's just really smart. He, he's one of he's known as one of their smarter defenders, but he looked at Jimbo Fisher on the sideline right before the final play, and he saw Jimbo Fisher mouthing the words "Evan, Evan, Evan," trying to get Haynes King's attention. Haynes King mm-hmm. is Texas A&M's quarterback. It was basically that they were running a play that they had scored on earlier in the game, and there's trips, three receivers to the top of the route to the to the quarterback's left side. There's an ISO to the quarterback's right side. They went to the quarterback's left side to score, but Alabama changed the coverage and they were forcing everything down essentially. And so Jimbo saw that obviously from the sideline and, and knew that Evan Stewart was the only potential receiver that they could hit. And so he's yelling or he's saying, Evan, 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 and Terry and Arnold sees him and he's like, okay, it's coming to me. And he jumps it more than he would have jumped it before. And it worked. Now yeah, and the throw they, the throw probably wasn't there, yeah. but even if it had been, it would have been a tough catch. And they threw it Arnold's way a lot. I mean, I think he had eight or nine targets. Um, and part of that is uh, just the way he was covering. Part of it is uh, staying away from Kool Aid on the other side. But uh, yeah, I, I give him a lot of credit. He had an interception also in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, he he was a guy that made me okay. I usually don't take notes on non draft eligible guys just because. I only have so much room in my brain for the thousands of players in this draft, but he made me take notes and say, okay, this guy, the way he's playing, that aggressive nature that he has. Um, and yeah, I think a, a lot of people coming into the year were talking about uh, Eli Ricks, uh, the LSU yep. transfer going to Alabama. And the, that what I heard from Alabama was, hey, this guy's not even going to start. And so that's why in my cornerback preview in August, 
Eli Ricks didn't make my top five. He didn't right. make, you know, like a lot of, because you know, everything I was hearing was there are other guys on the depth chart that are beating him out, being more consistent. And I think, you know, it, the move will be good for Eli Ricks. I mean, discipline, uh, if you're not disciplined in that, in that Saban scheme, you know, you're not going to play. And I think eventually he'll get things figured out, but it's pretty clear he needs a crash course in that Saban scheme uh, just to, until he figures things out. But yeah, that's, and really, and the safeties too. I want to mention the safeties besides Branch because I mean, I think Demarco Hellums coming into the year was known as a as a really good run defender, but he's going to give up plays and coverage, and, and he still will give up a play and coverage. But I think he's playing a lot better with uh, just the spatial relationship of where he needs to be. It has been, I think, a big improvement. So Hellums has played. He's he before the year looked at as maybe a fourth, fifth, sixth round guy. Now he's going to be pushing for top one hundred consideration with the way he's playing. And then, of course, Jordan Battle had the the interception, uh, you know, late in that game as well. Uh, there, there's a lot to like about that entire safety uh, depth chart that Alabama's rolling out there. Demarco Helms also, by the way, almost killed me with his helmet at the end of the game. Uh, he was very excited. He throws it straight up in the air. Uh, I've got a shot of it with my. I tried to do the NFL films like ball track the ball in flight, mm. and then I I realized afterward. After I saw it land, I'm like, wow, that almost hit me. That was that was probably not smart to be trying to film that instead of just getting out of the way. And the, the other crazy thing at the end was, so I'm walking, or you know, I was right in the corner where all the, the, the throw happened. I'm walking around and I see Kool-Aid McKinstry come walking by and he goes, what happened? And I'm like, oh, he doesn't know. He, he's on the other side of the field. He has no idea what went down on that play because they weren't showing replays because all of a sudden the game's over and everybody's just, just celebrating. Right. But... It's, it's funny when you think about that, like a guy who's a very important part of the play has no idea what happened on the play. Yeah, yeah. that's Because, yeah, he's focused on his receiver. He's not probably not looking back towards the quarterback because everything happened so quickly yeah. on that final play. So that's 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 funny that he didn't he didn't know. That's for real. That's really funny. Yeah. And, you know. He, I, I just love good nicknames. It's a great year for nicknames in the SEC. You've got Kool-Aid McKinstry. You've got Rocket Sanders at Arkansas. Mm. You got uh, you got Squirrel White at Tennessee. So this is I, I can't wait to see these guys in the draft, you know, machine with the how'd you get your nickname stories. And Porkchop Womack is is still always going to be my favorite though. So oh, that's yeah. There, there's a lot. I mean. Even not even some of the nicknames, but some of the just normal names are are great. I mean, uh, Cavassier Smoke, uh, oh, yeah. Kentucky. I mean, that's that's as good as it gets. Uh, there, there's a lot of good ones for sure. Well, we had a not this past weekend, but there was an East West Bowl, you know, Key and Peel East West Bowl quarterback matchup in right. the NFL with AA Ron Rodgers, who was <laughs> in an East West Bowl skit, and Bailey Zappi. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, Ba- Bailey Zappi. Uh, I, now I don't know if he'd do Bailey Zappi Western Kentucky or Bailey Zappi Houston Baptist. Mm, yeah, that's on the true. East West Bowl, but that's it was a, it was one of those matchups. So yeah, this is a this is it. It was very nice to see those guys in person up close. Anderson is is just phenomenal to watch. Like it is it is so much fun to see him figure out how to get past whatever an offense throws at him. And it's interesting because he was such a threat. Like that last play, we I know we keep talking about it, but it, in the college football world is a very controversial play because you've got the A&M fans killing Jimbo for the play call, but you've also got the A&M fans saying it was pass interference. But the what what you're not figuring, what they're not also including in that is Haynes King threw the ball probably a touch early 
because he was terrified of Will Anderson getting him. Now, Will Anderson at that on that play was being blocked by the right tackle and chipped by by a, a, either a tight end or a back, and he still was about to get through. Right. That, and that's what makes him so special is you have to account for him on every single play. And even if we just talked about how even if he's not getting sacks, he's still being disruptive just from a, a game plan perspective. Because, like you said, the quarterback knows he's coming. The offense has to make sure that he has help to that side, whether it is a tight end or a running back sting uh, in, in the pocket to pass protect, you know, whatever it is, you have to have a plan for a guy like that, you have to game plan for Will Anderson. And in the NFL, there there are definitely guys that you have to do that with, whether it's Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, uh, TJ Watt. But, you know, in the college level, it, it's something that's even tougher to do. And when, uh, uh, when Will Anderson gets to the NFL, he's going to be that type of guy. Uh, that uh, He's going to be that uh, pass rusher you have to count for in every single play. So and that's why, no matter, you know, whoever has the first overall pick, Good chance we see a quarterback there, but Will Anderson's going to at least make it a conversation. And uh, he's still the overwhelming favorite to be the first non-quarterback drafted. And another guy I did want to point out after seeing him in person is Chris Braswell, who's one of the other edge rushers at Alabama. And and Anderson and Dallas Turner get all the, the publicity, but I don't think there's much drop-off when it's Anderson and Braswell or Turner and Braswell. Uh when, when 31 comes off, which is Anderson, and 41, Braswell is, is on, they're still getting to the quarterback. They're, they're still yeah. pressuring that guy. So uh, Braswell's a junior. Yeah. He redshirted in 2020. You know, he, he's, he's draft eligible this year. But this may be a, a situation, and you've seen this at Alabama a lot with like Jonathan Allen, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, guys that could come out, could be decent draft picks, but then they stay for one more year and they star and then they become a first round type draft pick. Yeah. I mean, he still, he, he has zero starts to his name because you know, he's coming right. off the bench. And, uh, but he's a guy that uh, last year we saw flashes. We saw a little bit of it. And then this year, it, I think he's getting better and better with each game. He's got a sack each of the last three weeks. Uh, another guy that when he's out there, he's being disruptive. He's living on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And he, you see the speed. Uh, you see a guy that the closing burst it is really impressive, uh, especially a guy that's you know, two, 6'3", 245 pounds. So, I mean, you, you can almost guarantee that, uh, you know, Saban's going to have the full court press saying, okay, well, as soon as, you know, Will's going to leave and you're going to step up and it's going to be you in Dallas next year, just to, you know, make sure he doesn't go anywhere. But to your point, he is three years removed from high school. He is uh, technically eligible. So a, a name that needs to at least be on the radar. Yeah, because it, it could be situational. He could blow up. I, I remember Kevin Dodd mm -hmm. at Clemson a few years ago had the great college football playoff, yeah. wasn't going to leave, and then was like, yeah, probably it's probably time to go. Uh, yeah. So, And I think he wound up being an early second-round draft pick. So we'll, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, Steen is another one I wanted to, to point out, uh, the Alabama left tackle who was at Vanderbilt. Alabama, the spot recruiting out of the portal for positions of need, they – have not been able to just plug and play on their offensive line necessarily. They uh, last year they, they had some issues at right tackle. It took them a little while to, to figure out what they wanted to do this year. They're, they're still not perfect on the offensive line. This is not the 2020 offensive line or, or the 2018 offensive line, but Steen has, has solidified a lot of things. And I think it, it he's one that uh, he played at Vanderbilt and now 
He, he's basically going to grad school at Alabama, except the grad, the master's degrees in football. We, we've seen Alabama really be smart about this. I mean, last year, bringing in Jamison Williams, bringing in Henry Toto. Uh, I mean, two of the most impactful transfers you could possibly have. And we're seeing it again this year. Um, and the offensive line has not been a strength, like you mentioned. I think maybe uh, Javian Cohen, the left guard, I think probably has been the most consistent of that group. But um, it, it's it, it's been good to see. And now, big question, okay, as we look forward, Bryce Young, is he going to be ready uh, to – he didn't – I don't know if you saw this from the press box. Or, he didn't, I don't think he took any warm-up tosses. No, he did game, not. Right? We were watching very closely. He okay. did not even throw in warm-ups. And uh, from what Saban said – Monday of last week, Thursday of last week, after the game, and then yesterday. They are approaching this very carefully because the thought is if you do too much, it's an AC joint sprain. If you do too much with it, you could do more permanent damage or, or longer lasting damage. And their idea is if, if they wait long enough, they can get him back and he'll be able to just play the rest of the season. But if they bring him back too early, they might lose him for longer. So it's a tightrope they're walking. That said... Jalen Milrow did not yeah. play that well. Now, he played really well against Arkansas, but he he struggled against Texas A&M, which is a much more athletic front mm-hmm. seven than Arkansas, and they were all over him. Well, but, the turnovers. I mean, that, that, that was the oh, big... killers. That, that's it. that was the difference, really, in, in terms of the offense not being able to uh, move the football consistently. And, I mean, it, it, that's, and that's a young player who is still figuring things out where, you know, Bryce Young obviously is uh, the, the the veteran. Um, now, going to next week uh, in Knoxville against a Tennessee team that just blew the pants off of LSU this past weekend uh, in Baton Rouge, this is going to be a really interesting game. And whether Bryce Young's in there or not, it's going to be a fascinating matchup of uh, of teams that are, are really talented. And hopefully we see Bryce Young out there because you, you want to see best first best. Uh, plus, it'd be awesome to see Hendon Hooker go up against uh, Bryce Young, those two quarterbacks uh, who you know are two of the better quarterbacks that are going to be in next year's draft. It'd be a lot of fun. But uh, you think about that environment in Knoxville, what it's going to be like for that team. I mean, this is going to be a really fun matchup. It will. Here's the thing. If Young doesn't play, this is going to be a really interesting game because I think at full strength, Alabama is still better than Tennessee. And, yeah, uh, Tennessee might be able to beat him with a perfect game if Alabama's at full strength. But if Young's not playing, there's a real good chance Tennessee wins. And if Alabama plays the way they did against Texas A&M, they will lose to Tennessee by two or three touchdowns. That, I mean, that's that was as, as bad as I've seen an Alabama team play and still win. And I was shocked at, that, that they managed to pull it out because they were just mistake after mistake. And it wasn't just the fumbles, but... I'm not used to seeing that from from a Nick Saban coach team. So we'll see if they get that cleaned up. And with for Tennessee against LSU, like I think the most encouraging thing for me was Hendon Hooker. It was not a great game for him. It was an it was an okay game, and uh, but I thought he missed uh, several throws that he should have made. Um, and but they still blew him out. I mean, it, it was not even. I, I don't think there was a point in that game where you thought, okay, this is. This is going to be close, or well, maybe if you know LSU scores a touchdown here, maybe it was ten to nothing four minutes into the game, and it just felt like okay, well, this is over. And so, 
Tennessee, they're not at full strength either. They're missing um, Cedric Tillman, their, yeah. their stud receiver. But he may seeing, be back this week, which would be great. But seeing Brew McCoy, who mm-hmm. you know top recruit at USC, he's really coming into his own. He had a career game against LSU. Uh, he he's a he's really the talent we heard about. He's really starting to show it. Uh, that's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and Jalen Hyatt's the other one who's, who's yeah. been very good for them. Speed, speed, speed with him. Yeah, Brew McCoy is such an interesting one because remember he he was committed to USC. He signed with Texas. He goes right. to Texas. He transfers to USC. There was stuff at USC. I think he, he was accused of something, cleared of it, leaves again. And then it's just now he's finally showing what, what everybody expected when he was a five-star recruit. And boy, they needed it too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, oh, yeah. They, they needed it with Cedric Tillman out because Cedric Tillman – high ankle sprain against Kent State. And, you know, the thought was, here's the first 1,000-yard receiver at Tennessee since Justin Hunter. If you take him out of the offense, will the offense still move? Yeah. Yep, Mm -hmm. still moves really great. So imagine with him back in there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they they have talent. The running back uh, was was outstanding. Jabari Small, yeah, yeah, he did a great job. The offensive line is playing well. So that that Tennessee offense is more than just Hendon Hooker. Um, McCoy, a guy that size, playing with that type of speed. Uh, not only can he beat you with that physicality, he's got a stiff arm. He'll break tackles, but he's got some speed to him as well. So that absolutely, that Tennessee offense will put up points, and it'll be. It'll be awesome to watch that Tennessee offense go up against this this uh, Alabama defense, which you know is uh, most of the inconsistencies for Alabama has been on offense, but on defense, you know, we just got done talking about all those guys, a lot of future pros. Seeing how Hendon Hooker handles the moment, uh, go you know going up against the, the best defense he's going to face all season. Uh, well, maybe maybe Georgia has something to say with that. We'll see, but yeah. it, it, it's going to be a, a really fun environment to watch to scout a game to see how these guys do on the big stage like that. Yeah, and it's it's gonna feel like a monster stage. There, I mean, there there'll be more people in Neyland Stadium than they'll ever see in an NFL stadium, and yeah, they'll be drunker than the people they'll see <laughs> in an NFL stadium. So it'll it'll be fun. Handicap it for me. It, 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 let's just say that Bryce Young does not play. What's the line on that game? Okay, I would say if Bryce Young doesn't play, I would I would favor I would actually favor Tennessee by three. In that I game, so, yeah, I, I was gonna say like a two and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. Because uh, I don't, I don't Bre- think Tennessee is gonna score as prolifically as they have against these other teams, but they yeah. will score. And and the and Alabama will be incredibly conservative on offense if Jalen Milrow has to start. And mm-hmm. so that's that's going to give Tennessee the ball more, give more cracks at that defense. Right. And if Bryce Young does play, there's still some unknown there coming off the injury uh you know it's he hasn't thrown the ball in two weeks what's you know so even even if he does play it's not going to be alabama favored by 10 i you know i don't it's not gonna be that type of line i i do think if bryce young plays and his arms feeling okay that they can move the ball pretty well i mean you watch florida Mm. just move the ball up and down the field on them yeah and anthony richardson is not anywhere near as polished a quarterback as bryce young but Florida could run and could throw, and that's where Tennessee gets in trouble. If you're one-dimensional against Tennessee, they'll shut you down. That's what that's what happened to LSU. Is Jaden Daniels can can run, he can he can escape, he can keep some plays alive. But if you force him to be a drop back thrower, you're not getting much out of that. So that's what Tennessee erased LSU's run game 
and force Jaden Daniels to beat them with his arm, and he couldn't. Bryce Young will beat you with his arm, and they do have a prolific run game at Alabama. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting watching Alabama games, seeing them look a little mortal, you know, and you know against Texas, against. Uh, and obviously A&M, there are certain circumstances with Bryce Young out, but it should be another one against Tennessee where it's not going to be Alabama just blowing uh, blowing this team out. It's, it should be a really interesting game that it, we'll see how coaching factors into it. We'll see how some of these players that we've been talking up, how they factor into it. So it, it'll be a good one Saturday. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how this has worked with Alabama because five years ago, this doesn't happen. They don't look mortal. They, they yeah. just... They have the depth that if something goes wrong, they have another person just ready to, to plug in. Like when Brian Branch went out, went out against Arkansas, they wouldn't have dropped off a bit. But with Kirby Smart at Georgia, he's taking two or three players who would have gone to Alabama every year. Uh, Jimbo Fisher is taking a player or two that would have gone to Alabama every year. Billy Napier at Florida, the plan is to take a guy or two who would have gone to Alabama every year. And you do that over and over and over again, and your depth erodes. Suddenly, you are not so much deeper. Your backups are not better than everybody else's starters. And that's where Alabama's probably finding themselves right now, even though their starter's still probably better than almost everybody else's. Dane, let's talk about the, the guys that are already in the NFL this was a uh, it's been a good year for rookie corners and yeah. Sauce Gardner getting his first interception this week, so it, it feels like a good time to talk about the the rookie corners. Yeah, it's great. We've um, I counted it up this morning, which and this kind of surprised me. We have twelve rookies with at least one interception, um, and most of those guys are, are, are corners, and so. Seeing Tariq Woolen with three interceptions now, I still just, and I tweeted about this uh, over the weekend, shocked. This guy fell to the fifth round, um, fell out of the top 150 picks. This guy's 6'4", 205 pounds. We, you know, he was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. We heard, you know, watching on tape, you see the speed, 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 uh, former wide receiver. Um, it, but he goes to the combine and he lives up to it. He runs a 4.26. He has a 42-inch vertical. Somehow the NFL lets this guy fall to the fifth round, and it's just really, really confusing. This is the type of guy NFL teams gush over the raw tools. Right, they overdraft. Yeah, yeah. 99% of the time, they overdraft him in the top 100 picks. I think he he finished like 80 for me in my top 100. Like, I mean, he belongs in the first three rounds, but I don't know if I could justify a top 50 pick on him. But he's and he's been playing. You see some of the undisciplined play with him. I think he's got like six penalties so far. Um, you know, he's given up plenty of catches, but he's also making plays. And did you see uh, him almost track down Taysom Hill? On yes. That, that long. I mean, it just looked like everyone else was kind of jogging where, and they weren't. They're running as fast as they can. Meanwhile, Tariq Woolen just unbelievable speed. Almost get he, he reaches him before he gets to the end zone. It doesn't. Uh, he's not able to tackle him. But before Hill goes into the end zone, but the speed is just unbelievable with him. Yeah, UTSA has been putting out some some good players of late. I mean, this is uh, now. Why am I blanking? The defensive end for the Saints, Marcus Davenport. Davenport. And yeah. uh, so uh, this is, I, I have a feeling we're going to see more of this from from UTSA. But yeah, it's it's it is amazing how much 
these guys have been able to plug in. Like uh, now, Kyrie Elam was not supposed to be playing as much as he is, but he's he's in there because of an injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Jones has been he he's been really good. Uh, I would say that besides, I think Sauce has probably been the best rookie corner so far. Tariq Woolen certainly has an argument. I Jack Jones he might have the best argument of all. He's he's playing. You know, so, so often we judge rookies based off of just production. You know, who has the most sacks? Who's got the most tackles? Who's got the most interceptions? Um, but down to down, snap to snap, Jack Jones has been the best, maybe the best rookie corner we've had so far this year. It's been really impressive to see him uh, go out there and cover space. He's doing a really nice job understanding route concepts. Uh, you could tell he puts in the time uh, during the week to understand what the offense is trying to do. And he, for a guy that's not big, I mean, he is 5'9", I, but he he plays with the confidence that he's 6'3". It's been a lot of fun to watch Jack Jones. He, he's, you know, we saw that a little bit at USC. feels like 10 years ago now, but uh, yeah. you know, he got into that academic trouble, goes to Arizona State, kind of rebuilds himself there uh, in that program. Um, you know, talking to uh, some some people close to that program before the draft, you know, guys like, you know, Marvin Lewis and um, Antonio Pierce and, um, you know, guys that were around uh, those guys at Arizona State on, on Herm uh, Edwards' staff, they all said a lot of the same things about him was just, you know, he needs to learn how to be a professional, but talent-wise, this guy's it. I mean, he has everything that you possibly want, except for maybe just the, the size. So, um it, I thought he went maybe a little bit earlier than we thought. He went in the fourth round, but uh, Bill Belichick obviously uh, knew what he was doing. Yeah, and the ball skills that you saw in that yeah. in that Lions game, he was a. I mean, he could have played receiver in college. It, it, I don't. I don't think it was a question because of his size kind of pushed him toward corner anyway. But he was a very good receiver at Long Beach Poly High, home of the uh, the Jackrabbits. Uh, the school where uh, Snoop Dogg and Cameron Diaz once attended together at the same time. Uh, but yeah, he, he just, he's, a, he's one of those, he's just an all around football player. It's like, I talk about with those safeties. I, you know, I always bring up Jaquan Brisker, uh, Jalen Petrie. Guys Petrie like that. Yep. Just a football player. Like if, and, and it, with Belichick and we saw it years ago with Troy Brown, but like mm-hmm. if they needed a slot receiver suddenly, and they were in a roster crunch. I bet Belichick would put a package in for Jack Jones as slot receiver. Yeah, heck yeah. I mean, it's just it, the the days of Troy Brown, you know, playing both ways, and uh, like you said, just a football player, a guy that you know you can trust him to make plays. He's got those instincts uh, that sometimes you you don't always you know find the words to explain it, but you just know it when you see it when when you see yeah. him perform on the field and. I, yeah, I, I think Jack Jones certainly has that. But here are the, the rookie corners with at least one interception. Tariq Woolen's got three. Jack Jones has two. Jalen Watson has the one, which is obviously that big one. Uh, Sauce Gardner, Kyer Elam got his first. Uh, Stingley uh, got his first over the weekend. Uh, Kobe Durant with the Rams. And then Jerron Bland uh, with the Cowboys. So we've seen uh, and then the non-corner uh, uh, cornerbacks that have their interceptions. Devin Lloyd has two. Jalen Petrie has two. Uh, Rodney Thomas has one. Trevon Walker. Um, I think that's it. So yeah, it's it's been interesting to see some of these uh, these corners play well. Uh, Martin Emerson for the Browns, I thought has has played really well. Um, you know, Denzel Ward's been a little up and down. Gregory Newsom's been okay, but Martin Emerson. Uh, teams are 
throwing a lot at him. Uh, you know, avoiding Denzel Ward and Newsom, going after the rookie. And Emerson, for the most part, has been up, up to the task. He, he's got beat a few times. I know, you know, Garrett Wilson got him rookie on rookie uh, in the Jets game. But Martin Emerson, I think, has played. Uh, he's been up to the task uh, for what the Browns have asked him to do. And if you like Mississippi State corners like Martin Emerson, get ready for Emmanuel Forbes next yeah. year. So, SEC uh, tied to the SEC record for most pick sixes in a career with four. Emmanuel Forbes has it is he's a magnet for pick sixes. And yeah, why why you would ever throw an out against him mystifies me. And I I, I think it may have been Jack Jones who said it. Yeah, when they played the Packers, he's like, it's disrespectful to throw it <laughs> yeah, out against me. <laughs> he was offended. He was genuinely offended. Uh, and, and Forbes is—he's got a little of that honey badger to him, where yeah. he'll he'll freelance a little bit. You know, he'll do maybe not—he might not play technically sound all the time, but just because he trusts, he understands what he needs to do to bait the throw. He understands the spacing and, and what he needs to do that where he can make up that space, still take the ball away. So yeah, Emmanuel Forbes is a fun player. That it's funny the the honey badger. I brought up Jalen Petrie and Jaquan Brisker. That's who I should mm-hmm. have mentioned as as the football player, just the guy who yeah makes plays. And it's funny how our way of looking at these things has changed because we were talking about Brian Branch earlier, and I was talking about how he and Minka you know Minka Fitzpatrick helped kind of design that position. I remember when when Tyron Matthew was at LSU and we were like, well, I don't know how good of a just cover corner he is. He's not a right. lockdown corner. And it's like, what do you mean? He, he's the, he's the antidote for all these offenses that are proliferating everywhere in the sport. And we're just like, well, I don't know if he could, you know, play one-on-one on an Island. It's hard to believe that was like a dozen years ago now. Uh, I think it's 2010 season maybe. Uh, but I mean, it was, yeah, it, He's not the biggest guy. Um, you know, he's not a guy that you think of as a, as a, you know, this unbelievable tester. Like, it, but he just, just goes out there and plays, make plays. I mean, it's, it, whether he's lined up in the nickel, whether he's lined up as a safety, I mean, he just, uh, whatever you ask him to do, he'll go out there and make plays. And you start to, you know, he, he's a good, uh, you know, for me personally, it was a good learning experience when, as you know, I'm coming up, I'm learning how to scout and what to look for and certain traits. And at some point you just have to ask yourself, can this guy play football? You know, I just, you, it's, it's easy to overthink some of these guys, uh, but you just need to focus on, Hey, can he play football? And he did it in the sec week in, week out. Um, you know, he, he obviously there's more going on with him with yeah. the suspension and, and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, he, he's more than lived up to, you know, what we thought he could be in the NFL. All right. Let's talk about a couple rookie offensive linemen that we've, We've mentioned before, maybe not in the best light, but it's. I, I think it's time to, uh, to to give them their flowers as uh, as <laughs> they've they've improved as the season's going on. Uh, we mentioned Cole Strange week one. Cole Strange seems to be doing great. This this may be another case. Bill Belichick just knows a lot more about football than the rest of us. Uh, he's the the guard out of UT Chattanooga who the Patriots took in the first round, and everybody's like, wait, why you, you couldn't you have gotten him in the second? And He's he's doing well. He's refusing to wear gloves. He's wearing the old school John Hanna face mask. Like it's it's crazy. Him and uh, Zion Johnson are the only rookie offensive linemen who have yet to be flagged, um, and wow. that 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 says something. Um, you know, it, it, guys that especially uh, you know Zion Johnson was a, a five year player, um, actually a former FCS guy like Cole Strange, but you know he was 
well-seasoned, ready-to-step-in, plug-and-play guy. Cole Strange, a little more of a question mark just because he's coming from uh, the FCS level and the speed of the game. But yeah, he's th- th- there have been a few uh, hiccups, but he's he's played really well. Um, you, you could make an argument that he has been the best interior offensive line rookie uh, so far this year through five games. And moving outside, so Evan Neal... And this is not a place you want to be. It's Monday Night Football mm. against Micah Parsons and, and and Demarcus Lawrence. This is not a place you want to be as a rookie tackle. And it showed. It was right. not pretty. And that's probably what most of our, you know, e- exposure to Evan Neal this season until you saw him in London when when they were again on the stage by themselves. Guess what? This guy's doing pretty well. Well, and the game after the Cowboys uh, was the Bears. And if you need a opponent to get you back on track, uh, the Bears will help you do that. He didn't give up a single pressure uh, against the Bears. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, in London this past weekend, he, he did give up one sack, but he, he was at least – you see progress. You see him settling down, not being as maybe frenetic as he was uh, in the first few games. So he's a guy that's it's learning on the fly. This is a, a player who was always bigger than everybody, always just better uh, going back to high school and IMG Academy, and then he goes to Alabama. Um, and it's, it's, it's there's going to be a learning curve for a lot of these offensive linemen. Rarely do we see uh, the Rashawn Slaters, uh, you know, the guys that just step in and are just all pros from the get-go. Those types of guys will kind of spoil us a little bit when Evan Neal, let's be honest, is more the norm in terms of yeah. it's going to take some time. Ike uh, Mikwanu, same type of deal. These guys, it's not like they should have been drafted top 10. It's just going to take a little bit of time for them to settle in, uh, you know, take their medicine, learn on the fly, and, and they'll be better for it. So let's talk about the, the, the weekend ahead in college football. We've mentioned Tennessee, Alabama, which is going to be a great one. There, there's three undefeated on undefeated power five matchups this weekend. So you've got Tennessee, Alabama. You also have Penn state at Michigan. You also have Oklahoma state at TCU. All of these are going to be really good games. I, I, the Tennessee, Alabama, there's so much intrigue because of Bryce young. Will he play? Will he not play? But the, the, the Michigan Penn state game feels like an elimination game in the playoff race. And this will be a good one for for the folks scouting too. I, Mozzie Smith's one that mm-hmm. you know, top of Bruce Feldman's freaks list. We said, okay, how do they how do they deal with losing Aiden Hutchinson and, and Ajabo? Well, Mozzie Smith plays a different position on the defensive line, but he has definitely shown that Michigan did not have an empty cupboard on the defensive line. Right. This is gonna. It's fair to say, I think that this game could be won in the trenches, um, which is, could say that a lot. Uh, a lot of Big Ten games, but I, I think with uh, Mozzie Smith controlling things in the middle, because um, as good as you know Penn State's offense is, it's still Sean Clifford out there. You know, it's still right. a, pa- a passing game that uh, you know it, it, I don't think you consider explosive. That there's question marks there, um, and so they're going to rely on the run game and. Michigan can be really good stopping the run uh, at every level of that defense. So, and it starts with Mozzie Smith in the middle, who uh, I, I think is really instead of being hype, I think we're seeing the production on the field, which has been awesome to see. Uh, but Penn State can play. I mean, that we've seen it uh, throughout the year. I mean, some of those games, you know, the Purdue game was a little bit closer than you'd like to see, but they've got talent on that on that team. And so, uh, check out. 
uh, for the people uh, who haven't seen him yet, check out left tackle uh, Foshinu for Penn State. Yep. If there's a potential riser in this draft, it, it's Foshinu, who uh, was uh, is a first-year starter. Uh, he has a chance to be in that OT1 conversation. Still young, just a redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what he plans to do, but this will be a good matchup for him going up against a Michigan defensive line that has, they don't have an Aiden Hutchinson. I don't even know if they have an Ajabo, but they are deep um, on the Mike Morris. Um, uh, they, they've got uh, like three or four guys that can get after you. So uh, scouts will be focused on the uh, trench in the trenches for sure on that one. And a guy that we won't be talking about here for two more years, probably. But watch Nick Singleton when he gets the ball for Penn State. Yeah, he special. is. Uh, he's special. So. Five star guy living up to that five star status. Yeah, it's it's a fun one. At TCU Oklahoma State should should be quite a bit of fun too. Uh, How about Quinn Johnston? Uh, yeah, the game he had. He looked. Uh, I mean, the catch he made at the end of that game oh was my gosh. unbelievable. At the end of the Kansas game, I, I think that. Well, there was a lot of question marks about Johnston coming into that game because in the first, uh, what, four games, he had 12 catches. Yeah. Uh, he had more drops than touchdown catches, uh, three drops to zero touchdown catches. So, and this is, there's a lot of hype. He was number 28 in my early top 50. So a guy that considered in the first round conversation had not lived up to it. It's not like... TCU's offense has, has been bad. They, they've been pretty good. Been awesome, actually. Right. And... and uh, so it's just, okay, well, what's going on? What, why hasn't he been more part of this offense? Well, that changed against Kansas. Uh, it was a 14 catches, uh, 206 yards. And then that touchdown that, that you mentioned, not only does he track the ball over his shoulder like that, but it was pass interference. He, he had a play mm-hmm. through contact, uh, bring the ball in, adjust to it and still get his feet in bounds. So, uh, Quentin Johnson is a really unique player, right? He's not, He's not shifty, but he makes the first man miss almost every single time he gets the ball. It, it's really fun to watch him. Sometimes it's just through play strength. Other times it's uh, he just has a, has a feel for it, whether he's doing a little spin move, whether uh, you know he's making a quick cut. He, he's very elusive and has a good feel for that. So uh, of the 206 receiving yards he had against Kansas, half were after the catch. So there, there's a lot to like about what he brings. He's just a really unique athlete at 6'4", 215 pounds. So the big question is, okay, Max Duggan, can you get him the football consistently? And credit to him. Uh, he's playing really, really improved compared to what we saw last year. I don't know how much of that is the new coaching staff. Uh, I don't know how much of that is just, you know, he he's finally you know showing the promise that he, he flashed earlier in his career. But, uh, you know, I think every year we find a guy like this to compare to Taysom Hill he reminds me a lot of Taysom Hill, though, I, because yeah. he's he can throw the ball when you want him to. But as an athlete, he's big, he's physical, and he's fast. And so there's a lot of parallels between what Max Duggan gives you and what Taysom Hill can give you. And like Taysom Hill, very good instincts on the read option. He knows exactly yeah. when to pull, when to let the back keep. Uh, another guy to, to look at, everybody enjoying watching Rodrigo, uh, yeah. Malcolm Rod- Rodriguez from, from Oklahoma State. Uh, Brock Martin the defensive end from mm-hmm. Oklahoma state is in his 94th year of college football. I think when he, when he gets to the NFL, he will be 37 years old, but he will probably give you a few good years in the NFL. This guy, again, just a football player kind of guy. I don't, does he even get drafted? I, I, I don't know where, where he would wind up, but 
Probably not. He's he's a PFA. He'll he, make a roster yeah. and he will play for somebody. Yeah, he's a PFA. He, he's a little undersized. I mean, about six two and a half, two fifty. Two fifty. Um, yeah. Yeah, but he's got thirty three inch arms. He's he's a he's got a motor on him. Um, and he'll be. I think he turns twenty four in March. So yeah. not not super old, but yeah, a little little bit older than you'd like. Uh, but yeah, that Oklahoma State def- that Oklahoma State team in general, they uh, Texas Tech uh, Texas Tech. Stayed around a little bit, but Oklahoma State eventually pulled away. So that uh, Oklahoma State, are they the favorite in the Big 12, maybe? I think they are at this point. Yeah. And now I, I think the winner of this game will be the favorite. I think right. that's the that, – because te- – well, Texas now seems to be rounding into form. You saw Quinn Ewers come back for, for mm-hmm. Texas, who's a – you know, we'll be talking about him this, this time next year quite a bit. But now Oklahoma's bad. So I, I don't know exactly how much 49 nothing against Oklahoma tells us, but it looks like Texas is pretty talented. And that's a that's an offensive line. We're actually going to be talking about Texas offensive linemen here in, in two years, yeah. Dane. Well, like, and they, they made such for the a, first time in forever. Well, yeah, because and they needed to, obviously. They made such a an eff- emphasis to recruit those guys, and it's starting to show. So yeah, that I mean the Red River rivalry is never, I don't, it, it, it just, it felt one-sided from the get-go. And that was yeah. kind of sad to see. I mean, Oklahoma, it, any chance Brent Venables is in danger of losing his job? It could it be, he'd be I, one I don't and think done? he's in trouble yet. It, it, if, it, if they're just pathetic the rest of the season, maybe, but no. if, if Dylan Gabriel, their quarterback comes back, it will not look as sad. Part of it is their offense just can't do anything without Gabriel. Right. Uh, that when when Lincoln Riley left, obviously Caleb Williams left with him, and then they've they just didn't really have anybody waiting, so they they grabbed Gabriel out of the transfer portal. But the the other quarterbacks they had were not really ready. Uh, I'll be curious, Nick Evers, the freshman from Texas, if 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 this continues, if Gabriel can't come back because he took a pretty nasty shot and and got a concussion, do they start getting Nick Evers ready to be the guy? Because that would that was the plan eventually. So maybe maybe you do that now. But the part that bothers me more watching them play is Venables is a defensive guy. No, there was not a lot of talent on that defense. Like we're not right. talking about those guys as as draft prospects. But they're just in the wrong place. They're not fitting the run properly. Uh they're passing they you have DBs passing receivers into zones that don't exist where there's <laughs> no player behind them. Right. And that needs to that needs to be fixed, and that's something that Brent Venables can fix. You can, if you can't do anything else, you can put them in the right place, and they're just not right now. Part of me wants to see uh, because you know TCU's offensive coordinator doing a nice yeah, job, Riley, maybe Lincoln's bumping himself up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, Oklahoma goes back to that Riley. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, things I don't might know be too if they can pull that off. I think the fan base might revolt in that in, right. at that point. But. What, what about uh, Matt Rule, who is now going to be looking for a job probably back at the college level? So Matt Rule would be highly coveted by any of the jobs that are open, though I, I still think Wisconsin is, is angling toward just bumping Jim Leonard up. Oh, yeah. But Matt Rule may think he can do better than the jobs that are open and may want to sit for a year, may want to do TV. He'd be good on TV. But well, so there's it, there, the there's money that he's he's going to be receiving is unbelievable from the Panthers. Yeah. I, they gave him a seven year contract. He's out after what three years. So yeah. I mean, he's he, he's he doesn't have to worry about a paycheck. I, I think it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. 
sit back, uh, kind of relax, reset things. And yeah, you could be really choosy about your next job. I think he'd be really good at Nebraska, but I think he probably feels like something that is not as tough of a job as Nebraska right, is going to come right. open. Now, Auburn's going to come open. Yeah. That's a job where you can win a national title, but I'm not sure he wants... You have to have a certain kind of temperament to be a head coach in, in the SEC at a place that expects national titles. And let's be honest. I I mean, I did not see him taking the Baylor job. You know, that, that kind no, of felt true. like it was out of left field. So, you know, who knows how he kind of looks at things and, you know, it's it, so that it's Matt rules a little bit of a wild card there. Uh, that'll be interesting, but yeah, it's Carolina, obviously not a surprise, but uh, they're going to be entering the off season with, you know, we'll see what they do with the GM Scott Fitterer's one in his second year as GM. I don't, I don't know if they'll make a change there. Um, yeah, it's, it's a organization that needs to turn the page and we'll, starts a quarterback. Um, I think, you're Matt Rule, that might be your one regret. Maybe not one. I'm sure one of plenty. But the main regret is in they had 24 draft picks in three years uh, where Matt Rule kind of ran things. And he ran things yeah. uh, w- with all the control he had. They drafted one quarterback. And that was Matt Corral this past year who right. – you know, broke, you know, hurt his foot, and he's not even uh, in the but conversation. But they, were, they weren't picking him to start this year. It wasn't the, right. A, they weren't picking him as a franchise quarterback. And you're right. They, I mean, that that's been take a problem. swing. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the swings that you took were, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. I mean, you have to, you know, I, I think part of it is he he, he had a seven year contract. He felt like he didn't need to, you know, make a huge splash on one of these quarterbacks early, but. You know, a couple two years ago, passing on Justin Fields and Mac Jones, or uh, you know, the year before. So I mean, he was, uh, I, I think, not going after one of these quarterbacks and trying to groom him. That that was something that I, I think was maybe one of his regrets. He never got a, the opportunity to do uh, during his stint in the NFL. And that that may be a blind spot from college because if you look, they never had great. I mean, he had he had PJ at at, at Temple, but right. They never really had great quarterbacks at either place. They had good teams, mm-hmm. but they didn't have that special quarterback. And to win at the highest level in college, you do need that that special quarterback. Right. And so that's something that he's got to think about. If that's if he wants to come back at a level where you compete for national championships, it's it's actually kind of the same thing. It's you got to get some five star, four star type quarterback recruits and then groom them and develop them because at that level, it's it's very similar to the NFL. Right. Well, we, real quick, last thing before we, we, we sign off. I, this is the, the update. There are, what, five teams that are one and four right now and, and in the, the lead for the top pick, Carolina, Las Vegas, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Washington. And obviously, Vegas and Pittsburgh, they're not drafting a quarterback. Carolina, Detroit, Washington, three teams that very well could be drafting a quarterback. So there will be some competition there when we talk about the the top quarterbacks and C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and Will Levis. Um, There will be a little bit of uh, jockeying for position with those top picks between these uh, teams that could could be in the quarterback market. Trade down, take Hendon Hooker, thank me later. Mm -hmm. That's all I got to say about that. Big audition on Saturday uh, against uh, uh, Alabama's defense. It'll it'll be awesome to, to watch and see how it plays out. I, I cannot wait, Dane. It'll be fun, and I can't wait to break it down with you this time next week. 
Looking forward to it. This was the Athletic Football Show.